Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show. It's on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 184, and it's titled, Massive Job Losses Are Inevitable, But There Will Still Be Work. I want to start with a quote. It was written by Howard R. Bowen. He was a professor of economics. It says, The fear has been expressed by some that technological change in the near future would not only cause increasing unemployment, but eventually it would eliminate all but a few jobs. With the major portion of what we now called work being performed automatically by machines. When did he write that? 1965. It was part of an introduction to a report by the National Commission on Technology, Automation, and Economic Progress. This was a commission established by Congress and President Johnson in the mid-60s because there was such concern about technological progress taking jobs because unemployment was going up. This was a huge fear at that time, just like it's a fear today. That commission was responsible for figuring out What was the role of technology and what would its impact be on employment and production? In fact, they did, their their time frame was 10 years and they made predictions, which we'll get to in a few minutes, about what jobs would be there 10 years from the date the commission issued the report. So in 1975 was 10 years after the report. Here's another quote. This is by Nobel Prize winning economist, Wassily Leontief, he wrote, any worker who now performs his task by following specific instructions can, in principle, be replaced by a machine. This means that the role of humans as the most important factor of production is bound to diminish in the same way that the role of horses in agricultural production was first diminished and then eliminated by tractors. When did he write that? 1983. For over 50 years, if not longer, workers, politicians, academics have been worried about machines and computers and technology replacing jobs so people wouldn't have work. McKinsey Institute just issued a report this past week. It was titled Jobs Lost, Jobs Gained, Workforce Transitions in a Time of Automation. Another report 50 years after that National Commission. Here's what McKinsey wrote. We estimate that as many as 
375 million workers globally will likely need to transition to new occupational categories and learn new skills in the event of rapid automation adoption. If their transition to new jobs is slow, unemployment could rise and dampen wage growth. Same concern, automation taking over. The the report in 1965 mentioned how there were 700,000 fewer factory production and maintenance jobs at the close of the Korean War than there was so in the late 50s than it was in the mid-60s. It went on and talked about obsolete plants and facilities closing and particularly mentioned coal mining. Coal mining employment, the report says, fell 46% in seven years from 1947 to 1954 and the, the devastating impact on Appalachia. The same issues that came up in the presidential election in 2016, coal miners. 1995, there were 255,000 coal miners. By 1965, there was 145,000. Today, there are anywhere from 50 to 80,000 jobs lost. Now, there's an, an accounting identity, an economic identity, a formula And I've mentioned it before, economic output, which is the dollar value, GDP is the dollar value of that economic output. How much was produced in a given time period, in a a year, for example? And it's a factor. It's growth is a factor. How many workers are there? How many people are employed working? And how much they produce per hour of work? How many widgets do they make? How many loaves of bread do they bake? How much service do they provide in, in providing help, various services? That's what, that's what economic growth is. And so the concern is that as workers are able to produce more per hour worked, in other words, become more efficient, more productive as productivity increases, then unless output increases by even more, by a greater percent, then the number of workers will shrink and there'll be additional unemployment. Two MIT professors, O. Blanchard and R. Solo, wrote a report in 1994 called Productivity and Unemployment. They wrote, whenever unemployment is persistently higher than the perceived norm, the idea emerges that the advance of technology is destroying jobs and cannot be replaced because productivity is already too high and rapidly getting higher. To become more productive with technology, more and more jobs will be lost and unemployment will rise. 50 years we've been concerned about this. And it does happen. There was a story last week in the Wall Street Journal It was titled, How Cashews Explain Globalization. The first thing I learned is I didn't realize cashews were, they're a nut, but not even really a nut. There were basically, they grow outside of the fruit. So you have these trees with fruit on it, and below it, it's this cashew, and it's encased in a shell. Cashews were brought to India 
by Portuguese, Portuguese explorers. They, they brought it from Brazil in the 16th century. And the center of cashew production for decades was a town on the India coast called Kolam, K-O-L-L-A-M. General Foods Company in 1920s worked with local Indian entrepreneurs to collect raw cashews, and then they they broke the shells and they would ship them to Hoboken, New Jersey, and they would and they would roast them, and there was this vacuum packing process. And now it's a six and a half billion dollar industry started there, organized by General Foods. In Colum, it was the cashew capital of the world. Thousands of workers for decades processed these cashew shells. They had to be really skilled. One generation workers taught the next how to do that. Quickly shell, peel, and call tens of thousands of kernels each day. Although they didn't get much pay for that. One worker said, this is a skill that only we know. She's 39. She's been doing this since she was 15. The industry was based on cheap labor. 85-year-old K. Ravindranthan Nair, whose father was one of the first people to go into cashews, he says uh, of these workers, most who are women, they were sitting in their homes before that. The income was not very big, but for them, it was additional money. So very labor-intensive, by-hand process to, to get the cashews out of the shells. But then Vietnam started growing cashews. And in Vietnam, there was economic progress. At first, there were also thousands of workers doing the same job of, of processing these, these cashews. But there were better jobs out there. In There's a lot of cars manufactured in Japan, and there were other jobs that paid more. And so those that owned ran the cashew plants, were looking for ways to mechanize the process. And they developed machines to do that. And they were way, way more efficient and productive in, in producing or treating or processing these raw cashews. For example, there's one, one plant is able to process 66,000 pounds of cashews where they once had 2,000 workers on it, now there's only 170. And that's hurt the cashew processors and workers in India, which have chosen not to mechanize. They've chosen to protect their jobs. They put in tariffs to protect it, but they're losing market share to Vietnam. Now, there's a lot of workers no longer able to do that or found other jobs, higher paying jobs, in the automobile plant. But some stayed in production, overseeing the one worker in one of the plants named, well, her name is Naguyan the Thin, T-I-N-H, I'm sure I mispronounced it. She says, thanks to that, these machines, I became who I am today. She makes about $352 a month, weekends off and paid vacations. Much less workers in Vietnam and cashews, way more production, more output, and the remaining workers make 
more income. Mention the coal plants and the number of workers in, in the coal mines that aren't working anymore. But surprisingly, there were 663,000 people working in mine, mining in 1964. The National Commission predicted there'd be 620,000 in 1975. In fact, there were 723,000 in 1975. Today, there's 792,000 miners. There's still a lot of miners. Lower percent, but actually more miners. So they did all these predictions, and they predicted in 1965 that 10 years later, there would be 75 or 76 million workers. It was actually 81 million workers. But their predictions in terms of the percent of workers working in manufacturing in other areas was generally pretty correct. When it comes to manufacturing, they assumed it would be 26% in 1975, by it actually came in at 24%. So pretty close in terms of manufacturing, mining, construction, transportation, utilities, wholesale and resale, retail trade, finance, where they were off as they predicted way more government jobs in 1975. They assumed that it would be 19% of the workforce, up from 16% in 1964. It's actually 12 in 1975. And what was much greater than what they predicted was services and, well, miscellaneous, but basically services. They forecast in 1975, 16% of workers would be working in services. It actually came in at 23%. And in 2016, it was 44%. The fear that technology and automation would take jobs in manufacturing, is actually what happened. We've had a significant drop in terms of the number of manufacturing jobs. We've gone from, in 1975, there were 19.2 million factory workers. In 2016, 15.4 million. We've gone from 24% of workers in manufacturing in 75 to 10% today. But what you don't often hear is that we're producing the output, the manufacturing output is three times higher today than it was in 1980, with about a third less workers. What does that mean? We're more productive at producing. But that doesn't mean that all the jobs disappeared. In 1975, there were 81 million jobs. Today, or in 2016, 150 million. Unemployment is 4%. We do not have massive unemployment. There's work, but the jobs are different. Much more in services. And, and I spent several hours trying to figure out, well, what's everybody doing they're not making stuff. What are all these service jobs? Let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. 
NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one program and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. With everything getting more expensive these days, it's wise to find ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. You can do that with NetSuite. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com david. That's netsuite.com david. netsuite.com david. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Before we look at the type of service jobs that have been created, millions and millions, with over 40% of U.S. workers working in services, there's some other trends we need to be aware of. One, as workers become more productive, are able to produce more per hour worked, we get more leisure, more vacation time, more days off. In 1909, the average worker in the U.S. worked 2,662 hours. By 1964, when that National Commission issued their report, we were down to 1,999 hours, and yet still producing so much more. And in 2016, it's 1,783 hours, so down from 2,000 hours in 1964. We are working less. We have more leisure And a lot of these service jobs are helping us. How We we, we spend money in leisure, a lot of it's service-oriented. We'll look at what those are. The other thing that's going on, we're way more educated. In 1952, 67% of workers had less than a high school education. And only 8% had a college degree or a graduate degree. In 1965, only 42% of workers had less than a high school education, and 12% were college graduates. In 2016, 8% of workers have less than a high school diploma, and 39% are college graduates. More education, significantly more education in terms of college education. And that means a lot of the jobs require education. They're smarter jobs, things you have to know more to do them than you did in 1965. The other thing that's happening is poverty is significantly less. In 1963, 35 million Americans lived below the poverty line. It's about 18.5% of the total population. 
Today, it's 40.6 million. So about 5 million more, but we have a much greater population. So only about 12.6% of the population is below the poverty line. So there's less poverty today. There's more income because the jobs generally pay more because they require more education, more skill, we become more efficient, and we're working less. Now, that's not to ignore the problems that we have in terms of income equality, and I've talked about that in recent episodes. But here we're addressing the fear that technology is going to take all the jobs. And that has not been the historic trend. As workers have become more productive, they've earned more income, and then they've spent that income, and other jobs were created. When we look at the type of jobs being created since, really, where we've gone from 23% of the workforce in services to 44%, as I looked at it, There are jobs that deal with complexity, that the world's becoming more complex. So a lot of them, the the biggest percent were business services. So 9% uh, of the service jobs, overall service jobs in 1975 were professional business services. So accounting, legal services, accounting, computer system and design, management, scientific jobs, research jobs, advertising, management, business support, travel arrangement, service jobs related to businesses, a lot of it dealing with complexity in terms of designing computer systems, figuring out how logistics works. So that was 9% in 1975. 28% of service jobs now are really fall under professional and business services. So that's been a huge increase. So it's supporting businesses and navigating globalization. The other major increase, because I thought it would be more entertainment jobs, but no, only 5% of jobs in 2016 were entertainment, up from 4.5% in 1975. I thought it would be healthcare. There's actually less workers at hospital and health services today. 26% of service jobs were in healthcare fields versus 31% in 1975. It wasn't that. But what it was, was jobs would would fall under other personal services. have gone from 20% of the service jobs to 23%. And you look at what that is. There are a lot of social service jobs. It's marriage counseling. It's alcoholism counseling. It's employment services. It's youth centers, it's neighborhood centers, it's senior centers, parole officers, it's, it's disaster services, emergency shelters. In other words, jobs related to helping this huge transition of the workforce from manufacturing jobs that are being lost to service jobs that are being generated. Service jobs helping businesses deal with complexity and globalization. That's been the huge change. Big trend from just more service jobs, trying to figure out a more complex world, which takes more education to do. Because it is true that jobs that are going to be easily replaced are the ones that, that can be automated. That is what the McKinsey report says. 
They write, automation technology, including artificial intelligence and robotics, will generate significant benefit for users, businesses, and economies, lifting productivity and economic growth, more productive, more output. But they go on, the the extent to which these technologies displace workers will depend on the pace of their development and adoption and economic growth and the growth and the demand for work. When we look at economic growth, the increase in output is a function of employment and productivity. That report back in 1965 said rising output is needed to create jobs to replace jobs lost by productivity increases and to absorb new workers. That's what's happened for 50 years. Output increased to absorb the workers that lost their jobs because of productivity increases. That report said the basic fact is technology eliminates jobs, not work. We have double the amount of jobs that we had in 1975. Unemployment is still low. But there's always that fear because what happens is productivity increases and then it wanes. And we get periods when productivity is doing very, very well and unemployment rises and then people fear that technology will take all the jobs. But then ultimately output increases and new jobs are created. The study that I mentioned by O. Blanchard and R. Solo, they went back for decades to the early 1900s and even before and looked at and saw there was no relationship between productivity increases and unemployment. As productivity increases, unemployment doesn't naturally increase. Sometimes it does for a period. But what they found was in the McKinsey study, if you look at a longer time scale, that over time, as productivity increases, so does employment. And why? Because we produce more in terms of goods and services, and we have higher incomes overall. McKinsey writes, even with automation, the demand for work and workers could increase as economies grow, partly fueled by productivity growth, enabled by technological progress, rising incomes and consumption, especially in developing countries, increasing health care for aging societies, investment in infrastructure and energy, and other trends will create demand for work that could help offset the displacement of workers. But they still estimate 375 million workers globally will likely need to transition to new occupational categories and learn new skills in the event of rapid automation adoption. And the jobs that are going to be replaced are the ones that, as we saw, that that can be automated, can be done better and faster by machines. And this isn't just factory jobs. They give the example of mortgage origination, paralegal work, accounting, and other tasks that can be automated. They go on, automation will have a lesser effect on jobs that involve managing people, applying expertise, and those involving social interaction. 
where machines are unable to match human performance. Those that take empathy, that take interaction, the machines just don't do very well and will more than likely be unable to do for even decades. McKinsey mentions that new technologies have spurred the creation of many more jobs than they destroyed. And they give the example of the personal computer, where they estimate that it created 15.8 million net new jobs since 1980. I mean, after the job losses, it was an additional 16 million jobs because of the personal computer. Most, 90% were in occupations in industries other than the PC. So there were jobs created because of the PC, not jobs related to making PCs. And that's what technology does. It creates new categories of jobs, many of them in the service industry. But there will always be somebody, as we saw with the cashews, somebody trying to figure out a faster, cheaper way to do this. Seth Godin had a post just today called The Big Squeeze. He writes, there are more truck drivers in the U.S. than just about any other occupation. For a long time, unionized truck drivers benefited from work rules, healthcare, vacations. It wasn't an easy job to get, but it was a career. Companies started to realize that if they offloaded the work to freelance truckers, people with their own rigs, they could take advantage of a free market. As a result, more and more the work ended up with independent operators who got to be their own boss, paying for their own equipment and finding their own work. The problem, exacerbated by the speed and power of the internet, is that there always, there's always someone cheaper and hungrier than you are. That if you do undifferentiated work, the market will squeeze you to do it cheaper. We get slightly cheaper trucking, the million, millions of drivers get exhausted while living right on the edge. They work too many hours, carry too much weight, burn themselves out. The same thing is true for anyone who signed up to be a cog in a digital marketplace. Uber drivers, freelance bottom fishers, hardworking people cranking things out by the pound, making widgets. To thrive in today's economy, we have to do stuff that's something that's differentiated that they hire you for who you are, not because you're the cheapest and do things that you can't be easily replaced because they're hiring the uniqueness that is you. And that, that's a challenge. And it is, it is a challenge. There are workers that lose their jobs and a lot of them don't recover. And we need the social safety net to help that. But for many of us that we have the education, we need to continue to be education and find a way to be unique and not be competing simply on price, but based on the value we add. So people hire us for us. And I recognize that's a very, very difficult challenge. But it's something we have to figure out. Otherwise, we'll be replaced by a machine. So that's episode 184. Show notes are at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, why don't you sign up for my free insider's guide. Each week I'll email you those links, those show notes, as well as a, an essay, additional material, valuable content that wasn't included in that week's episode. 
And you can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com or for you are a U.S.-based listener, just text the word INSIDER to the number 44222. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific financial situation, nor have I provided investment advice, just simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.